The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Each person is born with a gift. Our call is to find it and care for it. The ultimate purpose of the gift is to exercise the heart into inhabiting its aliveness. For the covenant of life is not just to stay alive, but to stay in our aliveness. And staying in aliveness depends on opening the heart and keeping it open. Our dreams, goals, and ambitions are all kindling fuel for the heart to exercise its aliveness, to bring our gift into the world, to discover what matters. Like a match, our light is revealed as our gift strikes against the needs of the world. When my sincerity strikes against yours, our gifts can give off their light. This is from Mark Nepo in his new book, The One Life We're Given. Finding the Wisdom That Waits in Your Heart. He is a New York Times bestselling author of The Book of Awakening and also the author of 16 other books, including 7,000 Ways to Listen, The Endless Practice, and, of course, the New York Times bestseller, Book of Awakening. His work has been translated into more than 20 languages, and he's been on 1111 before and always touches my heart with his words and his stories. And I can tell you that this book will do the same for you. Welcome, Mark, to 1111. It's nice to have you back. Thank you. It's great to be back with you. Thank you so much. The, the part of this book that I think touches me the most is it is the place we hit when we move into, whether it's illness or crisis or an obstacle or a challenge, those moments beyond our control, as you say, when our will can't make life follow our wishes and we don't exactly know what to do. And through the course of the book, you respond to that in such a beautiful way. So start off with a little bit of how we are to work with life and how these things that come up are not here for us to fight or curse or hide from life, but but what are they here to do instead? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that I keep learning humbly is that you know, we, the experience of life, life is the sculptor and we become the statue. You know, we, we are carved as we go through things into what is essential and to, to a place where only what's left is what's of essence and what's unbreakable. And it doesn't mean that the carving is fun. <laughs> you know, nobody, nobody really looks forward to it or likes all of it because it comes in so many different forms. And it can come through beautiful things, through love and surprise and beauty and wonder. But as we know, it also comes through pain and, and grief and loss. And, and I think the amazing thing is that I think life has been made just difficult enough that we need each other. Mm. And I think that 
is to ensure the journey of love. And this is how we discover love. You open the book with with a story, and, and you have a quote in there where it's always harder to sail toward a fixed point because you'll know you'll inevitably have to cross the wind several times to get there. And you talk about life very much from the um, metaphor of a sail and a rudder. I'd love for you to share that right now so that people can get an idea, because I thought it was such a beautiful metaphor. Oh, well, thank you. You know, well, this goes back to, you know, my father and I, and I, there was, who was a master woodworker and who loved the sea. And he, he died three years ago at the age of 93. And, and, you know, he's so with me since his death, and I keep understanding things um, through him. Uh, and I was I was speaking somewhere, and someone asked me a really wonderful question, and as you know, really wonderful questions are unanswerable. And, uh, and someone said, well, how do we know the difference between the will um, and the soul? How do we know which is, which is speaking to us? And and just as she asked that, I was thrown in my heart, in my mind, <clears throat> back to sailing with my father as a boy, because we had a 30-foot sailboat that he, that he um, grew up on. Uh, I'm sorry, that I grew up on and that he made. And, and sailing, and he would, I remembered that he would, say, he would say to me, you know, when we were out there and the sails were full and the boat was really going along, it was a 30-foot catch, and... And he said, you know, and I should say that a rudder, which is the steering mechanism on a sailboat, we, modern sailboats have steering wheels, but they're all connected to a rudder, which steers the boat. And you move the rudder to, to have go left or right. Well, he said, you know, it's the, sail, it's the wind that fills the sails, what tells the boat where to go. The rudder is just there to follow the wind. And I came back, I came back to this, you know, this is all going on in my head, in my heart. And I said, that's the teaching, you know, the soul is like the sail and we need to have it open and full and out the open so that the winds, which is spirit can fill it. And the job of the ego is simply to follow, follow where the wind is directing us. It's such a beautiful metaphor, and and so much of life, especially now when we look at things that are happening in the world or often just in our own families, the different things that pop up, so often we're wanting to head towards a certain destination or a vision, but life seems to keep wanting to lead us more into an unknown instead, And, and to understand when to follow that will versus that sail can often be a difficult place for a lot of people. Talk about the distinction of how you understand when it is that you're to follow the sail that's been filled up or start to steer via the rudder. Yeah. I think, you know, I think we, we experience this, and I experience it all the time. I mean, certainly even with my writing, I experience it because, you know, I've been blessed to, you know, I, I started out as a young poet and philosopher, and I was just hoping, like any young artist, I was just hoping maybe someday I'll finish one book. And, you know, to have created what I've created is humbling and amazing to me. And I have to say that every one of my books, not one of them, has been the book I started. So we need uh, we need our ideas and our dreams and our goals. It doesn't mean we shouldn't dream or have goals, 
But I think that in our culture, because we think ambitions in our dreams and we make them, you know, the most deepest part just a guess. It's just a guess. And it's like kindling for that fire of our aliveness. And we need to engage it and see if, see what's there and see if it can come alive. But often what happens when it comes alive, whether it's the dream of a book or a dream of a career or the dream of a relationship, whatever it might be, often when it comes alive, it gets real. And it's almost as if life says, okay, now that I see you're committed and serious, I'll show you what's really here if you're willing to co-create this together and give up your insistence on your initial dream. And now, now I'll show you what the real dream is. And it, it, it makes us go deeper into experience so that we experience perhaps not just what we initially thought was the vision, but even a deeper wish, a deeper wish of ourselves or a deeper wish of the universe. Uh, it, and you talk about it being uh, those dreams and those ambitions and those accomplishments almost being the repetitive cocoon where we're the caterpillar and the butterfly and the caterpillar and the butterfly because we keep stretching beyond those places. Yeah, it Robert Brown who said that, um, you know, man's, and of course he was from the 1700s and in, in 1800s in England, so he wasn't very awakened in terms of gender, but his original quote was man's reach should exceed his grasp. And really we can say any person's reach should exceed their grasp. And that is, you know, we, we want, to, there's something in us that reaches beyond our limits. And it doesn't mean that, that, you know, we either insist on what we're aiming for or that we're failures if we miss. It means that that's how we get engaged in life where things get real where things get real. And I think that, you know, often the deepest things that happen on uh, are always along the way. You know, there's a wonderful story about um, a beautiful monk in, in, this is a true story from 1700s in, in, um, I'm sorry, I think it's 1600s in Japan, Tetsugen. And Tetsugen was his calling from a young age, as he wanted to translate, no one had translated up to that point, the Dharma talks from Buddha into Japanese. And he had this calling, he really wanted to do this. And so he set about translating the talks. And Sora, who was an artist, a woodblock artist, and he enlisted. And then they did all this work, and they went around begging alms to have enough money to publish the holy text from Buddha. Well, you know, that was his dream, and his reach was out there, and he was working toward it. And then after about 10 years, they were getting close to having enough money and close to finishing, and all of a sudden, in the part of Japan where Tetsugin grew up, there was a flood, much like Katrina. It happened for us. And so... He gave all the money to the people where he grew up to help them through this terrible time. And he went back, continued translating, and his friend continued doing the box, and he went back, saved more money, and begged more alms. And then about eight, nine years later, somewhere else in Japan, there was a famine. 
And having opened his heart to the people in the flood, he said, well, they don't live where I grew up, but they're people nonetheless. They're still my neighbors. They're still my people. And he said, damn it. And he gave it all away again. And after 25 years, Ted Sugan finally had enough. And he and Sora published the first Japanese translation of Buddhist Dharma talks. And today, in a museum in Kyoto, there is a copy of that original edition. And under it, there's a plaque that says, in his lifetime, Tetsugin published three versions of the holy text. Only one is visible. And we... Yeah, we wouldn't even tell this story if he had insisted on his dream, if he had ignored what showed itself, because the real, the real dream, the real embodiment of all of Buddha's talks was the compassion with which he helped other people. And, and that, that goes to one of the sections you have in the book where you talk about the story behind the story, which I'd like to get to after this break. We drift in and out of knowing our aliveness. Pain, worry, fear, and loss can muffle and confuse us. But finding our gift and working it will bring us back alive. It doesn't matter if we're skillful or clumsy, if we play our gift well or awkwardly, or if we make great strides or fail. Aliveness is not a judge in a talent show. Aliveness shows itself in response to wholeheartedness, and then we can say yes to life, work with what's given, and stay in relationship to everything. There is nothing as messy and magnificent as the incarnation of being human, and the one life we're given is more than enough. If we can help each other through the storms that can, that can come, though we shake our heads admitting on bad days that it's all too hard, if some legendary film director were to offer you such a part, you would think it's the role of a lifetime, and it is. This is from Mark Nepo's latest book, The One Life We're Given, Finding the Wisdom That Waits in Your Heart. You can find out more about Mark, as well as this book and his 17 other books, including his other bestseller, The Book of Awakening, so I'm going to make a premonition here. Uh, and you can find out at marknepo.com or threeintentions.com. And while you're there, you can explore some upcoming events such as in Charleston, South Carolina, at the Sophia Institute in September, in addition to an event in Seattle. So that's marknepo.com and threeintentions.com. We'll be right back with Mark Nepo. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22... 33, 444, people all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, 1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. Engage with experts and topics of consciousness. Become enlightened, empowered, and energized. So you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. 
Do you want more out of life? Tired of settling in relationships, your career, health, or finances? Want to experience greater aliveness? I am Simran. I support people in listening to their conversations with the universe, the guiding signs, symbols, and synchronicity. I mentor people to anchor in trust, love, and confidence to live their heart's desires. Let me guide you in embracing the challenges and the obstacles so you embody and integrate the gifts they bring. No more human doing. You are here for being, bounteously and abundantly. Experience your soul's natural rhythm, your powerful essence. Don't shrink back any longer. Release the struggle. Learn how to let go. Create in different dimensions. Transform separateness, grief, anxiety, anger, and chaos into living your destiny. Connect with me at IamSimran.com. Live more freely, spontaneously, and joyfully. Don't conform. Live a life of courage. Let's start now. Through my online courses, mentoring programs, or one-on-one coaching, it's time to change your world. Connect at IamSimran.com. Are you an artist, healer, teacher, author, speaker, or coach? A wellness or holistic practitioner or energy worker? Maybe you want to be. Do you desire to serve the world, share your gifts, live your dreams? I am Simran, host of 1111 Talk Radio, and I invite you to the vision of oneness. Could you use a community of support, more financial flow with less effort? Would you like to receive so you have more to give? Be a world changer, world server, do-gooder. Be a new paradigm thinker and a conscious change agent. A part of a growing community creating collective streams of prosperity and wellness. By simply serving yourself, you serve others. Feel great, have more energy, sleep better, gently detox, lose unhealthy weight, and build strength. It's time for more freedom and financial flow. The vision of oneness embodies unconditional giving, commitment, simplicity, and receiving. We are a collective new way of being in commerce and creative cash flow. Learn more at thevisionofoneness.com. Register now and a member will help you begin today. Visionofoneness.com. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Spiritual teacher, poet, and philosopher Mark Nepo has the rare ability to communicate sternly profound truths directed to the individual heart. In his dynamic new book, Mark offers an uplifting spiritual journey that helps us map a path for ourselves and our souls in the world. In the inspiring style of his number one New York Times bestseller, Book of Awakening, Mark encourages us to inhabit each day of this one precious life. Here's another passage from the book. Sometimes what we carry is devoured by the storm to free our hearts. Sometimes what we hold too tightly is broken from our grip to free our hands. Sometimes we're broken of the words we know so well, and we might learn a more immediate language. When faced with the appearance of the infinite at the bottom of our fear, there's nothing to be done other than to accept its grace. There can be no preparation, only a readiness, the likes of an orchid awaiting light or rain. But scouring our patina of mind is quite another issue. In this, the human will find a purpose worthy of its effort, more demanding than any external ambition, 
and more rewarding than any crown of recognition. This is from the book, The One Life We're Given, and you can find out more about him at martinifo.com or threeintentions.com. The passages that you write, they just take me, and I'm sure so many readers, deeply into their heart, and yet they speak so much to what each and every one of us encounter in our lives and what we often face with the issues that take place in our world. It's almost as if things take place to strip us of the identities that we have so that we can become more. Cancer did that. Lymphoma did that for you, Mark. And and losing a job did that for you. Different situations in your life had you kind of start over or reevaluate who you were again. In that moment of nothingness, what is it that someone should hang on to? Well, I think that's... And, of course, I can only speak... Uh, you know, what I share is an example, not an instruction. Uh, only to to hopefully welcome people to their own wisdom because everyone has their own wisdom and all we can do is compare notes. So in that spirit, you know, I can speak about there's been a handful of times in my life, you know, obviously many years ago, my, my uh, journey with cancer and almost dying from cancer was a profound, uh, just overturning, turned me inside out, upside down, um, and brought me much closer to everything that matters. It is through that journey and through no wisdom on my part, but just through being carved by life, as we spoke in the beginning of our conversation, that I was carved and, and really thrown out of my mind, thrown away from my mind, thrown into my heart. And I woke up on the other side of that journey, that three-year journey, um, and all of a sudden I was living from, from my heart and not my head, and everything was much more real. And, and ever since, my mind has served my heart and not the other way around. The mind is an incredible tool, but I would never give it the keys to the car, you know. Because, <laughs> yeah, the mind... The mind does believe that it can always grasp anything, and that's where the ego really gets its charge, I think. Um, I think the, when we experience an, an enlivened heart, it only humbles us. It only opens us to our common experience with other people. And, you know, I think another time that um, where everything changed for me was... Uh, and more recently, you know, I'm 65, and but in my late 50s, um, I went through a really upheaval period where a job that I had worked at for many years, um, the job was eliminated, and I and many other people where I worked were fired. Well, laid off, but we were fired. Um, and uh, and so, and at the same time, it was when my father was turning 90. And I really felt compelled to see him. Um, I hadn't seen him in 15 years. And so this was very disorienting because I really wanted to see him. But I was, you know, when, when I lost the job, I was afraid of the future. I didn't know what the future would bring. Uh, we weren't even sure we could stay in our house for a while. And when I wanted to see my father, I was afraid of the past because I wasn't sure what seeing him much as I wanted to would do to my identity because it had been so difficult growing up 
uh, under his wing. And then at the same time, I had another um, physical uh, journey to go through, which actually went back to the chemo I had many years ago. I, I had a, a difficult problem with my stomach where my stomach wouldn't empty properly. And this led to be losing a lot of weight, and it wasn't sure if it would heal. People who have this condition, it's just unsure if it'll heal or it'll be chronic. And and one of the things is you can't eat very much without a lot of pain. And so I had a fear of the present. Well, here I was in my late 50s, through cancer. I don't need another wake-up call. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm awake. And... Uh, and all of a sudden, I was in a very humble place where I was afraid of every past, present, and future. There were no more. I ran out of tenses. <laughs> there, were, there were no more. <laughs> there were no more places to to be afraid of. And miraculously, as I had learned during my cancer journey, except now it was twenty five years later. Um, because I couldn't go in any direction. There was no place to go except stand exactly where I was. Even yeah. if that was small. Even if that was small. Even if I was standing on one inch of ground that was based in spirit. I had to stand there and breathe. And that was the only place that was safe. And so I also had to let go of any plans or panic or alarm or I'm going to get out this way or what if I plan to do it that way. And, and I just had to build on that one solid inch until it became two inches, until my breathing made it three inches. And then it was eventually I was able to see solid ground around me. So this was quite a, a, a lesson that under all of the circumstances that are thrown at us, if we inhabit and work with what we're given and become an inlet that is open our heart and our mind to what is before us, it doesn't mean we'll, we'll get out of having to experience pain or loss or fear or worry, but they can become right-sized, and it's the engagement with life that is the life raft. It's understandable. It so resonates with me because I've gone through my own experience, and it's been a three-year journey, and I really see how it is to take from the mind to the heart. And, and I was in my heart very much before, at least our ego tells us we're in our hearts until we really do hit that place of crisis or trauma or sickness or challenge. And then we really do find the very open, cracked open place of the heart that really is the place of that compassion and tenderness where we are willing to see the, the ordinary as the extraordinary, where we're willing to be in the small moments of life. And that's what you so deeply and beautifully bring forward in so much of this book. It's it's about the little moments. It's about the small steps. It's about the, the intimate connections that we're here to make. Yes? Yeah, so thank you so much. I'm so glad that you feel that way. And and I also want to say for, for our listeners that as you listen to this, you might say, well, gee, you know, 
it sounds like we, you know, we have to get into trouble and, and, uh, and that's the only way that we can grow. Well, not quite. I mean, I, I, what I want to emphasize is we don't have to look and seek out these conditions by which to grow. Everyone, by virtue of being alive, will have their share of beauty, their share of wonder, their share of trouble, and their share of loss and grief. And what I'm really advocating and, and kind of affirming from my own experience is that we can get through that. Not only will we get through it, but the life of transformation will make us stronger and more whole for it. So we don't go have to go searching out. I don't agree with the, oh, you have to suffer to be an artist or no, you have to be a lot. You have to be fully alive to be a fully engaged human being. And it's understandable and it's normal. You, someone may be listening and say, oh, gee, well, I, I don't do that all the time. I run it. So that's not so good. <laughs> well, nobody does. I don't. Everybody, you know, we sleep and we wake. We close our eyes and we open. The mind opens. This is part of the the incarnation of being on Earth. I I don't personally believe in a an arrived state of enlightenment. I believe that this messy and magnificent journey of being human, this holds it all. And of course, we you know, uh, when we fall down, we get up. When we close, we open. You know, today, if you and I were having tea, you know, I'm, we have those days where we're so in tune. Like, if you started to spill your tea, I might, I might actually be able to catch the cup before it hits the ground. And tomorrow, if we have tea, I'll spill it on you because I'm human, and I can't. When I hit those moments, that so much of this book, this new book, is about effort and grace, the relationship between them. I believe in effort and I believe in grace and but effort seems to ready us for grace. We give our all and then at unexpected moments grace appears. And the simplest way to understand grace is not in some religious context, but you know, grace is what uh holds the bird up when it glides. Grace is the current that carries the fish along. You know, grace is when the surfer paddles and struggles to go out and catch the wave. When they, the moment they catch the wave, that's grace. But you also notice no wave, no matter how great that a surfer catches, ever lasts. Then they got to go back and paddle again. And I think life is a lot like this. Most definitely, I, I agree with you. And as you went through those those areas of your life. Which, which were the three fears, and, and, and that in itself is profound because we often look at fear as fear. We don't always recognize that it is, um, that there could be a, a fear related to the past or the, the future or the present. It, it was really beautifully written, and I think one of the most profound statements that I read was where you state that the pain was there to remind you to let go of the control, and so often the experiences that do happen in our lives that feel like tension or struggle are on where we just need to take the hands off the wheel and allow grace to swoop in. Yeah, I think sometimes I think sometimes, you know, pain and, and, and obstacles and remember are teachers. 
Much as we don't like them, obstacles are teachers, and no tradition holds this better than the Hindu tradition with the deity Ganesh, who is the provider and remover of obstacles, which tells us that that obstacles are teachers. And so pain, while nobody likes pain, nobody wants pain, I don't want pain, but often pain will force me to let go of my grip. And often... I hold on to thing. I can hold on to things too tightly, and so there's a you know there's a fine line for every person between being steadfast and determined, and being stubborn. And you know, I'm sure you know, we can cross that line in a second and not realize how we got there. I can be standing in my values and in my spirit and being steadfast and determined based on principle, and all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, it's all turned upside down, and I'm just being stubborn and not letting anything other than me in. And so the real challenge for us as human beings is as soon as we recognize that, how to, how to put it down, how to put it down and say, oh, now, now, I'm, now I'm now wrapped up in a wall of myself. I need, I need anything other than myself to get out of this. <laughs> hmm. I'm with Mark Nico, and he has been breaking the path of spiritual inquiry for more than 40 years. He's the author of 17 books, and they have been translated in multiple of languages. Are you loving your window? We're each left to live our days with the window of our heart open so that grace has a way in. Whenever the majesty of life presents itself, it's our humble, simple work to open our window and receive it fully with gratitude. Ultimately, each of us is a window through which the great forces of life enter. The way light fills a home. Through us, the source of life can revive those who are bruised and those who are waiting to find their way. So hard as it is at times, love your window open and become the opening itself until your walls come down. When the walls come down, the opening is everywhere. This is from the book, The One Life We're Given, Finding the Wisdom That Waits in Your Heart. You can find out more at martinico.com and threeintentions.com. And while you're there, check out the event that's upcoming in Charleston, South Carolina, at a beautiful nonprofit organization entitled Sophia Institute, and also an event in September that is taking place in Seattle. We'll be right back with Martinico. Do you want more out of life? Tired of settling in relationships, your career, health, or finances? Want to experience greater aliveness? I am Simran. I support people in listening to their conversations with the universe, the guiding signs, symbols, and synchronicity. I mentor people to anchor in trust, love, and confidence to live their heart's desires. Let me guide you in embracing the challenges and the obstacles so you embody and integrate the gifts they bring. No more human doing. You are here for being, bounteously and abundantly. Experience your soul's natural rhythm, your powerful essence. Don't shrink back any longer. Release the struggle. Learn how to let go. Create in different dimensions. Transform separateness, grief, anxiety, anger, and chaos into living your destiny. Connect with me at imsimran.com. Live more freely, spontaneously, and joyfully. 
Don't conform. Live a life of courage. Let's start now. Through my online courses, mentoring programs, or one-on-one coaching, it's time to change your world. Connect at imsimmerings.com. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. 1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. Engage with experts and topics of consciousness. Become enlightened, empowered, and energized. So you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Are you an artist, healer, teacher, author, speaker, or coach? A wellness or holistic practitioner or energy worker? Maybe you want to be. Do you desire to serve the world, share your gifts, live your dreams? I'm Simran, host of 1111 Talk Radio, and I invite you to the vision of oneness. Could you use a community of support, more financial flow with less effort? Would you like to receive so you have more to give? Be a world changer, world server, do-gooder. Be a new paradigm thinker and a conscious change agent. A part of a growing community creating collective streams of prosperity and wellness. By simply serving yourself, you serve others. Feel great, have more energy, sleep better, gently detox, lose unhealthy weight, and build strength. It's time for more freedom and financial flow. The vision of oneness embodies unconditional giving, commitment, simplicity, and receiving. We are a collective new way of being in commerce and creative cash flow. Learn more at thevisionofoneness.com. Register now and a member will help you begin today. Visionofoneness.com. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. As we discover for ourselves the lessons of our journey, we are led to the wisdom that waits in our heart, the inner knowing of what truly sustains us feeling, loving, and connecting, which allows us to fully live the one life we're giving. This book by Martin Nepo is beautiful and filled with stories along with certain places that you can journal and inquire within yourself to gain your own with a restorative place that is safe and life-giving. That safe place is our sacred grove, but the abrasions of living agitated out of the restorative place until we no longer feel safe. Now fear infiltrates our sense of being. When we find ourselves in this agitated state, which no one can avoid, we're faced with a more personal form of the same choice. We can invoke the ancient effort to recover our safe resting place and restore our trust in simply being. Or we can axe what is sacred to build a new fortification in hope of lessening our fear. But regardless of the protections we build, it's restoring our trust in life that opens us to the sacred grove. 
that place of true meeting always possible between us. I love that section on the sacred grove and especially about how we are here to build that trust. And you, you are a teacher of such that through the stories, you are able to help us find those places within ourselves. So the first thing I want to go into is you talk a little bit about how important our myths and our stories are. Talk about why and what they give to us when we allow ourselves to have them. Sure. So, you know, stories, before we had any you know, sets of universities and schools and certifications and programs, which are all wonderful and great, great institutions of learning, before all of that, story was the way that the quandaries of living and the lessons of living were passed on. And they were often passed on with, this is, this is what we've learned, see what you can add to it. And, you know, myth, mythology, you know, mythology often has come from stories that, that were very personal and, and specific, and they had such meaning for everyone that they lost that, those details and became just larger stories through the ages. But, but everyone has a personal mythology, and the, the purpose of story and a personal myth is to keep what is hard to keep in view, in view, because the things that matter in life are intangible, invisible, and we need, and, and being caught up in the, the tumble of circumstance every day, we can forget the things that matter, and story and myth remind us of what matter. They're foundational. They help us re-find our way. So, you know, for example, for me, you know, a, found, a foundational, you know, story is, you know, being a kid. And my, my grandfather on my mother's side, you know, he had a, be- they had a beautiful uh, little dish that was always filled with M&Ms when we would visit. And, and I know that now that, of course, they were refilling it. But for us as little kids, we reached our hands over the table, and that M&M dish was never empty. It was like endless. And, you know, that became a foundational story for me, a per, an early simple personal myth, because by keeping that M&M dish filled full, my grandfather was teaching us about abundance and love. And in the center of the home, you could reach your hand up without even being able to see, and there would always be enough. There would always be enough. And so when I remember that story, it, it not only regrounds me that I, in my belief in abundance, but it also then reminds me, oh, how am I doing that for the people in my life? How am I keeping whatever is needed full for the time that they need to reach to get it? And all of us, every one of us has, has, has foundational stories. And, and some of them are also... They don't all have to be positive. Some of them come from painful experiences that teach us about what to be wary of or how to stand up for ourselves. You know, the, the word honor means to keep in view what is true. And I love that definition. That means if we're friends and I honor you, I keep what I know to be true about you in view, especially when you lose sight of what's true in yourself. 
That's how I honor you. And these stories are how we honor life, each other, our own spirit, the mystery of life, the difficulty of life. So I I really encourage uh, people to listen and ask for stories and tell stories as often as you can. You know, the the great uh, poet of the last century, Muriel Ruckheiser, in a poem of hers, she goes, Say it, say it, the universe is not made of atoms, but stories. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love that. No, I love stories. that. Yeah, they, they're what hold everything together. But I also want to say something about trust. We, we, you started with that, and, and about the sacred grove, because the life is trustworthy, but living life, we will, by the fact of being human, we will lose trust, and therefore we will need to develop a practice of how to restore trust. Part of everyone's spiritual practice is, how are you going to restore trust when you lose it? Often, when we lose trust, we reframe our understanding of life to say that life, oh, now life is not trustworthy. But just like the sun doesn't stop shining because people are blind, life never stops being worthy. It's the tumble through life that has us see and not see, trust and not trust. So stories help us restore trust. And, and to tie this to the sacred grove, you know, as you know from that chapter, you know, the word academic which is so interesting because it's become such a stale, dry word. When we think of anything as being academic, we think of it being, you know, arid and, you know, not really relevant and just obscure. And, well, the word academic goes to Plato and the Greeks because it goes back to Plato's school, which was called the Academy. And the word academy in Greek means sacred grove because... Plato didn't have a formal school. He inherited an olive grove of trees from his uncle when he, when Plato was in his 30s. What they do is they walk through the grove of trees, and they didn't even have a curriculum. They just discussed life's questions together. Mm. So that's, that's what it means to go back to the sacred grove. Where can we walk together? in the open, telling each other stories that will keep what is true in view. And it all ties together so beautifully because one thing that our children need, that our future generations need, is that sense of stories of who they were, where they came from, and also the wisdom from it to carry them forward. It's how they can move through the obstacles and challenges. But then stories also help us witness one another and, and you talk so beautifully about that in your chapter, Being Kind and Useful, where we're able to find the compassion and, and, and be able to have the empathy for one another and what they're going through, but not necessarily have to go through it, but can attune ourselves to understanding what they're going through. Yes. You know, one of the things that I think, and, and you know, the structure of the book, uh, you know, for, for again, from my own learning, is that the way that I have found to to live the one life by by living the one life I'm given 
I am discovering the wisdom that waits in my own heart. And how does that come about? Well, there's many ways. But the structure of the book focuses on four, that I can, I, I can live the life I'm given by getting closer to life, by finding what can last, by loving whatever it is that's in front of me, loving what I do and what I see and what I feel and what I meet, and by being kind and useful. And these paths release the wisdom that waits in our heart. And, you know, one of the, the, the true gifts of compassion is that at some point, um, I don't have to know, I don't have to have a similar experience to have compassion for you. You know, often our compassion is open to each other because you know, if I'm a cancer survivor and you're a cancer survivor or someone who's been through life-threatening, we have something in common. We're of the same tribe, and that opens our heart to each other. Or if you have been through a relationship that, that uh, dissolved and it broke your heart and I did the same thing, that gives us something in common. That's a different tribe. But, but I think the goal of compassion is not simply to be open to people of similar experience, but to take that opening and extend it now to everyone so that I don't have to pair my hurt with yours in order to feel for you, that I can actually feel compassion for you, especially when your experience is beyond anything I've experienced. So, you know, I'm not a refugee. I don't live in Syria. I'm not a homeless person. But the things that have opened my heart, once the heart is open, then it can't be closed. We are the ones who work just as hard to close it as we do to open it. And, you know, it was this great Sufi teacher, Hazrat Iniyat Khan, who said, God breaks the heart again and again and again until it stays open. Oh, that's powerful. Very, very powerful. There's, you know, so often we live on the surface of life. We see people walk by or we think we know who they are or, you know, we hear, we hear of an author that sold a lot of books or, or, you know, is a poet or, or this, that, and the other. And we don't necessarily know the story behind the story of the people in our lives, of the people that we see. And, and that was a really profound piece as well where you talk about really getting to the crux of some of these other poets and writers and what their story was behind the stories that they were telling. And, and that often is even more interesting than what was being told. And I think that it really, it really calls for us to lean in and ask questions. And so we can so easily miss the story behind the story. It's like pulling a little thread and seeing what unravels. And you know from the book, you know, that happened in several places for me. But, you know, one of the profound ones, and, and I'll just tell this briefly because I think it's very powerful for all of us, is, is the story behind the story involving the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. And, you know, I read Nietzsche in college like everybody else. And, you know, his, his, most of his work, his early work, is very much about, about the strength of the will and, you know, a human being really imposing themselves on circumstance and seeing things through and, you know, and frankly, it didn't really speak to me. And then I ran across a quote of his from later in life that was so different. I love this quote. 
He said, I want to see what is necessary as beautiful so I can be one of those who makes things beautiful. And I was stopped by this. It's so unlike what I had learned about Nietzsche. And then I realized, you know what? I don't know anything about this man or his story. So I started to look for the story behind the story, which I could have easily, I could have just said, oh, that's a nice quote, and I'm really going to go with that. And, but, then I, but, you know, I, I, I did look, and I discovered that Nietzsche, when he was 44, he only lived to be 54, he had a transformative experience. He was living in Turin, Italy, and he had a breakdown. He was on a piazza in a hotel in the second floor, and he looked out the hotel room, and in the piazza, a man was whipping a horse. And for some reason, the, the, whatever was between Nietzsche and the world was totally pulled away, and he could feel the horse being whipped, and, he, and it, it just cracked him. It broke him open, and he ran into the square, and he was pleading for this man to stop whipping the horse, who said, hey, it's my horse. Who are you? get out of the way, it's my property, and continued to whip the horse, at which point Nietzsche threw his arms around the neck of the horse and put himself between the whip and the whipped. And he was never the same. And all of his work after that point changed. And the later part of his work was very different. It was more humble and welcoming the currents of life and being a part of that, and working with what we're given, not imposing the will. And oh. I feel that that moment, for all the brilliant things Nietzsche wrote, that moment where he put himself, his arms around the neck of the horse, was the poem of his life. He was well, now grace, living Grace is what wears down the face we show the world, until leaning into what we're given without a mask is the work of the soul. In time, we're destined to lose some of what is dear to us, which is only tragic if we forget the dearness lives in us. Beyond our lifelong dance with loss, it's wondrous that we should litter the world with things we hold dear. This is the one way we make the world dear. And for all our shouting, we land in silence. And for all our barking about God and truth, we settle. If blessed into living simply by just being true, the way a mountain is true. You have spent the hour listening to Mark Nepo, author of The One Life We're Given, Finding the Wisdom That Waits in Your Heart. Definitely get this book and let it open you up. You can find out more at marknepo.com or threeintentions.com. Thank you, Mark, for being on 1111 Talk Radio. Until next week, I am Simran, in love, of love, with love, and as love. Be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 